Of course, the LOS is trying to say that because the false narrative was that he didn't love Rachel and he didn't want to bang her either. All right, welcome to episode four of the Mura Scriptura podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to mere reading the Bible. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the Jacob cycle and... Um, if you haven't checked out my website already, it is mirrorreading.com. That's M-I-R-R-O-R reading.com. And um, my hope is that I'll be able to follow these podcast episodes up with posts on these uh, same cycles, but with more detail and showing uh, a little bit more of my reasoning process and the evidence, specifically what verses and uh, stuff like that for more of you uh, INTJ type people, if you're familiar with Meyer Briggs personalities, um, they like the details. So let's talk about Jacob and the Eloist uh, response to what was happening with that whole situation. So the Eloist is really responding to uh, a bad reputation that Jacob had gotten. So Jacob was viewed as kind of a scoundrel. And the basic story was uh, Jacob was a servant of Laban and he served him for 14 years. And then at the end of that, he stole Laban's livestock, stole his daughters and even stole his gods. Um, So the Eloist is responding to that situation and that uh, responding to that narrative. And so we see the Eloist uh, talk about uh, that Jacob, yeah, he kind of was a servant, but he was a he was a relative to Laban, uh, a kinsman, kinsman, and that Laban and uh, Jacob were on good terms uh, initially, anyways, and they liked each other. And the reason that uh, Jacob served. Laban for 14 years. It's not so much that he was a servant, was that he was trying to get uh, married to Rachel. And when it comes to stealing livestock, uh, the Eloist points out that no, Jacob didn't steal Laban's livestock. Uh, God had just blessed him. God had just blessed Jacob and uh, you know gave him lots of offspring for his livestock and took it away from uh, Laban's livestock. So it wasn't Jacob's fault, and uh, but it was it was God who had blessed Jacob and not so much Laban. And Jacob didn't steal Laban's daughters. They were both married to him and they both ag- agreed that they should they should leave. Now the Elohim doesn't respond, uh, it doesn't respond in quite the same way to the stolen gods. He doesn't say that they didn't steal gods. Uh, maybe there was some evidence of of those gods in, in Canaan, and so the Elohist couldn't uh, deny that. But, um, but, but he explains that it was Rachel that had stolen the gods, and Jacob was not was not aware of that. And of course, later on, they they get rid of those gods altogether. And the Elohist even flips the whole uh, cheating scoundrel uh, narrative to make Laban out to be more of the the, the cheater than Jacob was. Since Laban made, kind of tricked Jacob into marrying his 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 first daughter instead of Rachel, 
And then he uh, was trying to get more livestock. Even though Jacob was taking care of the livestock, he's trying to get more livestock out of Jacob than, uh, than what was fair. So Laban and Jacob's relationship uh, kind of go through this process, kind of goes through this process. It starts out good, and then when Jacob takes off, then, uh, or even during his time there with Laban, it kind of goes sour. And then at the end of the, of the story, they, they make up and are friendly. And kind of a subplot to all that is Jacob's relationship with Rachel. And so the, the false narrative that the Eloist is responding to there is that Jacob didn't love Rachel um, because Rachel only had two kids. And so Jacob must not have loved her and he was withholding sexual relations uh, from her uh, because he didn't love her. And her he, he married her sister first, so he really loved Leah and not so much Rachel. And of course, the Elois kind of spins that all around and explains why uh, Le- Jacob married Leah first, uh, because he was tricked into it. And then the Elois repeatedly talks about how much Jacob loves Rachel and uh, he's willing to work all those years for her. And the reason is the reason for her not having children is not Jacob's fault, but rather that's what uh, he he puts that onto onto God. So item number two. What, so why why does that all matter to um, to the northern kingdom of Israel? Because remember this was written during the early stages of, of the northern kingdom of of Israel, and so how does this really affect? Uh, affect that and the answer to that is really has to do with the the border tribes that I was talking about uh, maybe in the first or second episode and that these border tribes were influenced were being influenced by foreign nations and so northern Israel is trying to influence them to keep them into the fold and keep them from uh, going over to the other side so to speak and in this instance, we're really dealing with uh, the Transjordan. So those tribes on the other side of the Jordan, the Jordan River kind of acted as a natural barrier. And so this may have been a uh, cause of, of the Transjordan tribes being more influenced by foreign nations uh, than perhaps the tribes on the other side of the, of the Jordan. So on the Transjordan side of things you have the tribe of well the half of the tribe of Manasseh you have Gad and you have Reuben now if you remember uh, Gad is not listed as one of the brothers of Joseph in the Elois narrative so and it never refers to what tribe is is over there in the uh, Jacob cycle but it does seem to focus in on that area that that Gad area. That's where uh, Laban chased him down, and that's where they they kind of made made a treaty. Now, north of Gad is the was the foreign nation of Aram, which is where Laban was from, where Jacob had gone to. So it looks like that was the nation that was influencing uh, this area of Gad and trying to subject them to the kingdom of Aram. 
And that makes sense because Jacob is made out to be the, a servant uh, to Laban. And they kind of owe, owe Laban because J- Jacob cheated cheated Laban. And so it's very it's a very subservient narrative that Aram seems to be pushing so that they can have control over that Gad area. Now we have a very similar situation in the the Balaam cycle, which I'm gonna talk about in the next few episodes, but uh, basically you have Reuben, which is on the other side of one of the Transjordan tribes, and it's right next to Moab, and so it's being influenced by Moab, and the Balaam cycle is responding to that. So this is seems to be a common situation. Now it's interesting the pillar, the, the boundary that's set up between Laban and uh, Jacob is not so much between Aram and Gad, but there's Manasseh, the half tribe of Manasseh was in between those two. So uh, I don't know if Manasseh wasn't in the Transjordan area at the time, um, but that boundary is 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 not set up on the northern border of the northern kingdom. It's set up on the northern border of, of Gad, essentially. And we'll see this again in the Balaam cycle uh, when the Israelites conquer uh, the Gad area. They only go up to the Jabbok River, which is, uh, again, uh, on the border between Manasseh and Gad, not uh, Aram and Gad. So this is all very political in nature. They're, they're trying to influence these uh, people on the other side of the Jordan to stay within the northern kingdom uh, fold and to stay under their influence and not defect to the, to the other kingdoms. And in the case of the Jacob cycle, it was the kingdom of Aram, Aram which was uh, just north of the Gad area. All right, item number three, the Jacob-Israel name change. So if you remember in the Elohim account, uh, God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. Now the narrative that the Elohim is countering on, on this story is that they saw Jacob and Israel as two different people. So Jacob was kind of the forefather of those on the Transjordan side in that Gad area. He was, he was uh, uh, their ancestor. And Israel uh, was the ancestor of uh, the forefather of, of Israel on the other side of the Jordan. And so the Alois is trying to bring these two together. And so he, he relates a story that um, Jacob was... Jacob and Israel is was the same person because God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And one of the reasons that the, the false narrative was saying uh, that they were two different people was because uh, Israel walked with a limp and Jacob didn't walk with a limp. And so the LOS also relates and explains that part of the story too. When Jacob gets his name changed, he also gets the, uh, the hip put out of socket. Item number four, Elohim, which is the name of, of God that the Elohist uses. Elohim is God of Bethel in Canaan, as opposed to the God of Bethel somewhere else. So this is, this is I, I just learned something actually very interesting in that uh, meteorites that fell to the earth uh, in ancient times, the ancient people saw those 
um, kind of had a divine aspect to them. So they they called those meteorites uh, Bethels, uh, which is Bethel means house of God. And so it looks like they saw those meteorites as chunks of God's house that had fallen to earth. And so there were various Bethels, or Bethel, however you want to say it, um, various of these house of God rocks kind of all over, uh, wherever meteorites fell and people found them and venerated them. Uh, so it's, you know, it's interesting when Jacob, he kind of founds the city of Bethel because he, he, he slept on this rock. He put his head on this rock, um, which kind of implies that it was a meteorite. And he has this, vi- this vision of heaven. And so he, he calls it Bethel. And remember, according to the Bible, Bethel wasn't always called Bethel. It was it used to be called Luz, and the name was was changed. And so Jacob is countering this idea that, uh, or the Elois is countering this idea that Jacob served a, a god at a different Bethel, um, that he wasn't in Canaan. And the Elois is sure to point out that when Jacob returned to Canaan, he brought he. He uh, paid his tithes to, um, or at the Bethel uh, in Canaan. And when Jacob crosses, uh, crosses or comes into Canaan and has that encounter uh, with God or the angel of God or whatever you want to call it, that changes his name and uh, puts his hip out of joint, God, God asks, why do you ask my name? And that kind of impl- implies that Jacob already knew who it was. So the whole, the whole narrative that the Elois is trying to push here is that Jacob always served Elohim when he was in Canaan, when he went to uh, Laban, and when he returned from Laban. That whole time served Elohim the whole time. All right, uh, item number five, theological impact. So I'm going to give an example here from one of Tim Keller's sermons. So he's he's going to talk about Jacob and Rachel. So I'm just going to read here uh, what he what he writes or what he says. Uh, he says, "More interesting is the next verse. Verse. Then Jacob said to Laban." Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Of course, that means he wants to have sex with her. Alter, and Alter is this uh, Hebrew language guy that Tim Keller references. Alter says that this statement is so blunt, so graphic, so sexual, so over the top and inappropriate and non-customary that over the centuries, Jewish commentators have had to do all kinds of backpedaling to explain it. But he says it is not that hard to to explain the meaning. He says that the narrator is showing us a man driven by and overwhelmed with emotional and sexual longing for one woman. And that is totally right. It's That is completely right. Of course, the LOS is trying to say that because the false narrative was that he didn't, he didn't uh, 
love Rachel and he didn't want to bang her either. So the Eloist is trying to counter that. And this is a great example of in the in the uh, in the Hebrew that is trying to communicate communicate that. So for the Eloist, this is a good it's a good thing. It's a good, it's a good thing that Jacob wanted Rachel so much because it counters the false narrative that the Eloist is trying to address. But Tim Keller sees it differently. And I think this is typical of how of how we approach the Bible and I I gave this uh, there's a good example in the Abraham cycle too about this. The same type of deal. So here's here's the meaning that Tim Keller gets out of out of the Jacob Rachel story. And I'll read what he he says. What is going on here? Jacob's life was empty. He never had his father's love. Now he didn't even have his mother's love, and he certainly had no sense of God's love. He had lost everything, no family, no inheritance, no nothing. And then he saw Rachel, the most beautiful woman he had ever seen, the most beautiful woman from miles around, and he said to himself, if I had her, finally, something would be right in my lousy life. If I had her, life would have meaning. If I had her, it would fix things. If he found his one true love, life would finally be okay. And um, Tim Keller goes on to say that that's a bad thing. And it is a bad thing. Like, I agree with that. Like, you don't want to be codependent on someone, all right? That's that's uh, common sense. That's uh, But he's reading that into the Bible. That is isogesis, which I know Tim Keller wouldn't be abhorred if I, he heard me say that he's doing isogesis here, but he is. And people are so, you know, people criticize mere reading for be, being speculative speculative but tim keller can do can make a psychological profile on jacob from two verses that seems a little ridiculous to me and it's it's not the intended meaning of the original intended meaning of the author and so that's that's the thing with with me reading it's not it may not support a theological view but it knocks out theological views uh quite often in my opinion all right well i hope that made sense uh uh, next episode what are we doing next episode here Uh, that's the joe joseph cycle and um that's a good one too they're all good but uh the joseph cycle is the biggest one uh in terms of words i think but uh yeah next time (laughs) 